This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Welcome to Discussions at the Roundtable. I'm your host, Noah Balmer. And today I'm excited to welcome John Lawhoff to the show. Mr. Lawhoff's uh, uh, eponymous consulting firm specializes in litigation support for industrial and uh, construction accidents. He is a registered uh, professional engineer and a certified safety professional with over 25 years of experience in civil and safety engineering. Thank you so much for joining me here today. My pleasure, Noah. Thank you for the invitation. Of course. Let's jump into it. You've had a long career as an engineer and a safety professional, uh, including work with uh, some of the world's largest automotive manufacturers. Tell me about your background and how you first became an expert witness. I already had a private pilot license, and I went to all the uh, various branches of the military and said, I want to be a pilot. Will you send me to flight school? Uh, The Air Force was the only one that uh, really said yes. Uh, if you pass a physical and you get commissioned, we'll, we'll send you. I went through flight school and stayed in the Air Force for 20 years uh, and retired as a lieutenant colonel. And then I went to work in the uh, industry. I worked for Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler. Uh, 10 years um, with Chrysler, and I retired uh, from there again as, as a safety engineer. Now, you said, how did I get into the expert witness? Uh, one day, uh, a gentleman came into the to the plant and said he needed to see a, a spot where an accident happened. And I told him, "Well, that bay's empty. There's nothing there." He said, "Well, that doesn't matter. Um, I wanted. I just need to say I looked at the spot." And he was an expert witness. And uh, so he told me a little bit about how all of it worked. And that sounded really intriguing because I knew when I retired, I didn't want to sit in a rocking chair uh, <laughs> on the porch. So I built myself a website and uh, found a lot of different companies that promoted experts to attorneys. And I got registered with probably 15 or 20 of those. And uh, business started coming in. Uh, I started my business in 2005. I only had a couple of cases before I actually retired from Chrysler, which was the end of December of uh, 2007. Uh, Since that time, I've been averaging about uh, one new case a month. Uh, and the, uh, I work both plaintiff and defense cases. Mm-hmm. It's extremely important to uh, get a mixture like that because a lot of attorneys say, boy, I really like that, having uh, the, the the combination of, of plaintiff and defense experience. And I find that yeah, really could... important too. Go ahead. Yeah, I can I can see that your uh, experience is almost, or it actually is, literally evenly sp- split between uh, defense and plaintiff cases. Is that something? Do you actively pursue that? You know, is that part of your vetting process to try and make sure that you're taking some of each, or is it just kind of worked out that way? It just worked out that way, really. When I'm contacted by an attorney, what I'll do is the most important thing is can I support the case. I look at it very objectively, whether a plaintiff or defense, it doesn't matter. I think you have to remain very professional, very honest. You you have you know quite a deal of experience with, uh, gosh, 70 engagements or nearly 70 engagements. 
Um, as you know, there's a couple types of ex expert witnesses. There's consulting witnesses, and then there's also, of course, testifying witnesses. Um, do you have experience with both? Do you have a preference uh, uh, over whether you're a uh, consulting witness or a testifying witness? And what are some of the differences? Well, I like to be a testifying witness. <clears throat> and the difference is a testifying witness is the, is the one that will actually go in front of the jury in the trial. A consulting witness is just someone who provides information to the testifying expert. I like sure. to do all of my own research. I'm, I'm a, a one-man operation. By doing all my own research, I, I don't rely on, on anyone else. I, I read everything that an attorney sends me, absolutely every word. That's really important. I, I have an attorney say, I send him an invoice and they'll be, wow, you know, that, that's a lot of money. And I said, but you sent me a lot of material and you send it to me. That means you want me to read it. So I read it and I take notes on it. Uh, my notes are all typewritten and uh, I take them to any deposition uh, that I go to. And you're also permitted to take them to trial if you're going to testify in trial. A deposition in a trial they're, they're not a test of memory. What they want to do is get out what you know. Now, the what I've had opposing attorneys do for me multiple times is uh, they'll ask me a question over and over again using different terminology, trying to get me to say what they want to hear, what they want in the record. And... I have on multiple occasions told them, I know what you want me to say, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> and then they move on to a different line of questioning. They may come back to it. They, they, they may not. We spoke a little bit offline, and uh, you had told me that there are a couple types of uh, opponent attorneys, shall we say, when you're uh, doing um, depositions. And one, you know, takes kind of a super nice guy approach, and one takes kind of a super mean guy approach. So tell me a little bit more about that, and how do you prepare for each of those approaches? And how can newer experts prepare, uh, prepare for both of those approaches? One, you can't. You don't know what type of attorney you're going to be up against unless you ask the attorney that you're working for, which I always do. I say, what kind of a guy is he? Most of the time, they're decent people, you know, and they'll act like your friend. But you, what you've got to understand is they're really not your friend. They want you to say what they want to hear, and they feel that the more friendly that they are to you, the more relaxed you're going to be which is true on that, but the more the easier it'll be to get you to say what they want. Which, what you've got to remember is that you know more than they do. You are the expert there. They're trying to, again to get information from you. The best thing to do is just to take a deep breath, calm down, and uh, don't fall into their trap. When you talk about um, reading all of the material, do you often find that you're given kind of a mountain of material? Is is there a fair amount of it that's superfluous, or do you typically find that the attorneys are pretty good at weeding through the chaff before they uh, give you material on the case? Again, that, that depends on, on the attorney. Uh, sure. Some will send me a lot of medical information. 
it, and now I've come to the point where I tell them, don't send me any medical information. That part <laughs> doesn't matter to me. You know, it might sign, sound hard that I don't care how badly the person was injured, but uh, that's for the jury. Uh, I'm, I'm just there as to, to why they were injured. Was it their fault or was it uh, the fault of a piece of equipment? Uh, somebody else interjects something that caused the injury. Um, that, that's what my task is. Um, it's important to know the standards, the uh, not only the OSHA standards, the federal OSHA standards, but uh, if there's specific state standards, you have to look at them as well. And, and then uh, there's the ANSI standards. Now, the ANSI standards are not enforceable, but the OSHA standards are mostly updated with the ANSI standards. And then you've got the international standards, the ISO. Uh, if a piece of equipment is made overseas, then that company that made it, it has to make it so that it meets the, uh, the U.S. standards. And each, all the countries that belong to the ISO list the standards that they expect equipment to be made by. So that's something else that I do is I get into those ISO standards if the equipment was made outside the United States, make sure that it came in correctly, safely. That's quite a large body of law, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about local and, and national and international at times uh, that you have to be aware of, or at least be able to quickly reference. Um, what does it mean in your industry to be and remain an expert? How do you make sure that you continue to learn, that you continue to stay up on on these things? You know, is is it is it fairly rapidly moving, or is it something that you really have to actively stay on top of? It's, it's not a real fast moving uh, situation where standards change. I've, I've been in this so long now that I know know the standards fairly well. Um, but even so, I go back and I reference the standard um, to make sure that I haven't forgot something. Now, here's something else that's really important on the standard. Um, the standard has to be written before the date of the injury. Now, which, which means that if you've got an injury that's four or five years old, uh, there's a good chance that there's been some sort of an update or a uh, modification in that standard. So, like, say, if, if the case injury was in 2000 and you've got a standard that was written in uh, 1999 and another one in 2003, you have to use the 99 one. And there's, there's a lot of cases where people don't understand that. They'll just go to the most, the whatever one that comes up first online and, and use that one. So you, you got to be careful not to fall into that trap. Like I say, the changes are minimal, but uh, but there, there there could be some changes. Do you feel when you are selected for an engagement that you typically have enough time to do all of the necessary preparation? You said that you like to read everything and do all of your own research. Um, do, do attorneys typically grab you early enough in, in the uh, pr process of the case to be able to do so, or do you sometimes feel like you're scrambling? Most of the time, I've got a lot of time. I've got sufficient time. But there are times when things come up last minute. Uh, about three weeks ago, 
I was contacted by an attorney on a Thursday, and he wanted an affidavit on Friday the next day. And uh, he sent me probably a half a dozen depositions to, to go through. He said, you don't have to have anything really uh, detailed or real specific or real long, but I need it tomorrow. So <laughs> I, it took me seven hours to, uh, to put it together for him, and I got it to him uh, on time. Uh, that's not the normal case. Uh, what normally you've got quite a bit of time, and, and what's really important is you you write your your uh, your report, and then you talk about your report, and actually, if possible, have your your attorney read the report also. Now they're not going to change your opinion, but there may be certain terms that. Uh, are stronger than other terms that they want to have input. So I don't have any problem with putting the terms in. And as a matter of fact, we we never change my opinion. They they might say, hey, what do you think about this? Uh, you know, as an additional uh, item in your opinion. And you know, if I think about it, if it's if it's valid, then sure, I'm gonna I'm gonna add it in. You know, I'm I'm human. I miss things as, as well as anybody else. Sure, of course. Uh, are, are you ever given kind of a, a bare bones outline uh, for a report to start on by your attorneys or are you usually writing them whole cloth? Usually I'm running the whole thing myself. Um, they rarely will, will come up with, actually what, what they'll come up with that uh, on their own and then they'll usually have me uh, approve it. When, when an expert is uh, listed, the attorney has to say what the, the expert is going to uh, talk about. So in that case, he'll make write a paragraph or so and say, uh, you know, Mr. Lohoff is going to testify to the following. Um, and I like to know what he's, what he's saying before he says it. And uh, sure. most of the time, uh, I get that opportunity. There have been times, though, uh, when I don't, and and that's a, a question that comes up frequently in in a deposition is, you know, did you write this or did your uh, or did Mr. So and So write this for you? Be honest, you know, if if your attorney wrote it for you, tell me, I wrote it for me. Tell me about your your uh, your report writing process mechanically. How do you go about writing it? Do you do like an outline? Um, do you just kind of start from the top and go? Do you uh, start with a summary? What what? How do you find what what's in the most effective way to uh, write your report uh, efficiently? Okay, everything that you put in the report. Um, really needs to be noted as to where you got that information. So it will start out with, I've been retained by so-and-so for to do X for this particular case. And while we're on that, the expert can, very, can say, if he's asked a question and, it's, and it wasn't part of what they were asked to opine on, they can say, I wasn't asked to do that. I opine on that. You know, even if you've got an opinion, no, I wasn't asked to opine on that. Well, don't you have an idea? Don't you have some kind of a feeling? No, I wasn't asked to opine on that. And, and another great question is, well, what percentage, I'm off of track here just a little bit, but I don't want to miss it. Uh, what percentage do you think uh, company A 
is responsible for? The answer is, there's only one answer. That's up to the jury to decide. <laughs> it's the only answer you can give. So now, going back to the report format, uh, it'll start out after you know the, the introduction, been retained by so-and-so to do such and such. Um, I will then go into a background of, uh, of the case, and it'll be, I'll be in paragraph form, but every time I say state of fact, I will state where I got it. And usually it's out of a deposition. So it'll be like uh, Jones deposition, page 10. Sure. And it's, it's, it's very important. Um, and then after I've gone through that, um, I'll probably write a conclusion or a summary. Depending on the case, it will go either way, which is where really where I, I, I summarize things. Sometimes there are conflicting statements. I'll, I'll make a heading of conflicting statements. And I'll, I'll say, Jones said this um, versus so-and-so said, said something else. And, and there's always a question then when you've got that was, well, who do you believe? Well, I'm not going to call anybody a liar, but uh, you know, maybe based on all of the information, uh, I'm, I, I side with, with, with Jones. Um, but it's based on, on the information, not just because I like Jones. A uh, conflicting statements portion of the uh, report. I, I haven't heard that before. Tell me a little bit more about that and how you use that during the uh, deposition itself. Because, of course, reports become your reference material during the deposition or during cross-examination. Right. Well, right now, I've, I've, I've got a case. Um, it was a fire. The contention from the plaintiff is that the fire was caused by sparks from a circulating saw that got up into the insulation in the ceiling. There are two people that say that they saw the uh, defendant's company using these circular saws with the sparks flying. All of the employees of the defendant's company say that they did not have a circular saw. So, you know, who do you believe on that? And that that's... That's some questions that I'm going to have to, to answer on, on that. And, and why do I believe somebody over somebody else? So you've got two on one side and three on the other side. Um, you've, you've always got the, well, the, the thought of if, if somebody says something, is there going to be retribution uh, from their employer? Or is their employer going to get mad at them? Oftentimes they will say what it takes to support their employer. So, so you're you're analyzing the situation through your expert lens and determining the most likely, um, in you know, again, in your expert opinion of the uh, conflicting statements that have been made. Is that is that about right? Yes, yes, it is. What's what's nice is usually the attorneys will have multiple experts. I would just have you know one section of it, uh, and it's really important that you don't say something that's conflicting with one of the other experts. So I always like to have some kind of a Zoom meeting type of thing or just a, a, a multiple person phone call. Uh, so we, we can all discuss the case and so each one of us knows where the other is coming from. As far as the depositions are concerned, when it comes to reviewing them, the plaintiff always gives the deposition first. Defense then, the expert has an opportunity to look at that report and pick it apart. 
Sure. And, and then the plaintiff would have an opportunity to go back and, and pick the uh, defensive report apart. Uh, sometimes those reports are really good and you, and you can't pick them apart because they're written professionally and, and they've got all the information to back up what they say. Yeah, there, there's obviously two types of reports. There's your initial report and, and rebuttal report. And because you've worked both on the plaintiff and defendant side uh, extensively, uh, you must have done a lot of each. What are some of the other differences between the two types of reports? And do you have a preference between the two? First, I have no preference between the two. I always look at a case from the opposite side. And, and I, I, I tell my attorney, and maybe I'm off subject here, but uh, I'm going to be the devil's advocate. You know, if I was on the other side, this is what I would do. You know, in a rebuttal report, uh, essentially, you're putting yourself in their shoes and and rebutting them. So, uh, no, that that absolutely makes sense. Um, but I was just asking if you had, you know, a different strategy, uh, maybe with the report writing itself or with the content uh, therein when you're handling uh, rebuttals versus uh, initial reports. The rebuttal report is uh, typically uh, a lot shorter. You don't go into any of the introductory information. It's just a matter of looking at the other expert's report, identifying what you disagree with. Not what you agree with, to leave that out, but just, you know, <laughs> I disagree with this and this is why I disagree with it. Let's shift over to uh, talking about some positive experiences. You've worked with many attorneys. What are the characteristics of a good engagement? What are the things that make you and your uh, hiring attorney uh, a good team in an engagement? An attorney that wants to learn and wants to listen. That's, that's key, I, I think. I find it a lot when, when I'm talking, they're very quiet and they're, and they're just listening. Um, sometimes taking notes, sometimes one, either they or I will interrupt the other and I will apologize and they'll say, oh, no, go, go, go right ahead. They're, the one that hires you is very interested in learning everything that you know, and you've got to approach it as a teacher. Neither one of you can, can act as the superior person. You're a team. Uh, you're you're, you're kind of equals. They are experts on the legal strategies. They know what they have to do there. But they, before this case, they probably don't know anything about the subject matter. So you have to teach them the subject matter. When, when you go out on a site visit, it's, it's important to, um, one, work closely with your attorneys. You never want to talk to your attorney in front of opposing counsel. Sure. It's um, save, save all your comments till after, unless you pull them aside. Uh, before we wrap up, do you have any last tips for newer expert witnesses or attorneys working with experts? Don't get all worked up about it. Just to remember that you are the expert. You know the, the information more than anybody else. And just ex explain what happened. Answer the questions honestly. Uh, publications to a minimum, or don't do any publications. I have no publications. And the reason for that is as things change, 
Maybe your opinion changes. And I'm always asked, do you have any publications? You know, And I always say no. But I might have written something 10 or 15 years ago. And for whatever reason, I don't agree with what I said anymore. They're going to pull that up. They're going to find that. They're going to say, well, back 10 years ago, you said this, and now you're saying this. You know, what's what's the deal here? Don't don't write it, do any publications. Thank you very much, Mr. Lowoff, for uh, joining me here today at the roundtable. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure, uh, and you have a great evening. And thank you to our audience for joining me for another discussion at the roundtable. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. Our show notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps. 